But today we begin a message series on the book of Habakkuk, a good Bible book you may or may not have read recently, if at all. Uh, it's called A Minor Prophet, only three chapters, one of my favorite books of the Bible. We talked a long time on our team that leads uh, getting messages together in the series together about what we, how we wanted to frame this, and it, we came up with faith in hard times because that's what the book is about. Faith in very, very difficult seasons, what that looks like, and Habakkuk is about that in the words that he shared with us. And one of my favorite books of the Bible as well. He lived in a very difficult times. How many know that sometimes things don't get better? How many know that? How many know there are seasons where the health issue doesn't go away? Or the relationship, relationship does not recover? Or the depression is longer term than we anticipate? Our life stays difficult. That's often the case for us. If not now, maybe or will be probably someday as part of our journey. That's the way it was in the season of Habakkuk's writing. Habakkuk is pretty much a prayer that he prays to God. Let me tell you about his season. Here's how he defines it in the words the entire book says. Evil seemed to thrive. That all the people, his people, his people of Israel, of Judea, of Jerusalem, were just sinful and not doing right, not living right. And he couldn't understand that. So evil was thriving. Their enemies seemed to be winning. Not only were they winning, but there were armies at the gate who were going to come in and eventually destroy Jerusalem and Judea. He could see that on the horizon. What are we? Can we do anything about it, if anything? The future looked bleaker and bleaker and bleaker for them in this season, this time in Jerusalem and Judea. The nation had been there a good long time, but now it was about to be destroyed. He couldn't figure out. He didn't know what to do. What am I going to do? And so, and so he, his world was falling apart for Habakkuk. And so we're going to look over his shoulder for five weeks at the prayer he prays to God as he calls upon God. Today around the title of How Long, which is how the book begins. God, how long for it gets better. And here's how I'm framing this series as well as the very first message of the series. Three ideas that I have. Your message page has them if you want to write that down. Later on we'll see more about what the Bible says about it. But here's, what, here's how it begins. When everything seems to be going wrong, what do we say to God? How do we pray to God? How do we talk to God? Can you name the season when the oncology report is a bad one? We thought it was going to be good. We had prayed really hard. We had hoped. Uh, we thought, maybe I'll be different, and somehow I'll get a report that's different than others have with a particular diagnosis. What happens then? Or the bad job gets worse. Or the financial situation is not resolved like we expected in this next paycheck or this next month or this next year or this next raise period or when I lost my job. Or the abusive relationship goes on and on and on and on. Or the divorce doesn't solve problems, it gets worse somehow, some way, custody battles ensue. Financial setbacks, back, setbacks come our way. We're unhappy than we were before. We find ourselves in that situation. Artists playing depression, anxiety, fear, or addictions. What then when that happens? You know, Jesus gave lots of amazing promises, 
slash commands. Uh, he said, don't worry. I love that promise and that command. Don't worry, Mike. Don't worry about things. Don't be afraid. He specifically said it many times. Don't be afraid or why are you afraid? He says, don't doubt. He says, trust me. He says, love God and love your neighbor. You know these things the Bible says that, that we're told to do. But he also said another promise we often overlook or try to avoid maybe. And I'm going to paraphrase that particular promise. In this world, you're going to have hard times, which is the title of this entire series, Faith in Hard Times. In this world, you're going to have hard times. But don't be a good cheer. I have over come the world. A nice promise attached to the hard times, but hard to really grab a hold of when we're in the hard times because we are so attuned to, to fear and, and worry and doubt as part of who we are as human beings. And it certainly was true for Habakkuk as he faced a world where evil seemed to thrive, sin seemed to be winning, their enemies were at the gate, and the future could not look any bleaker. By the way, it wasn't going to get better. It was going to stay bad all of Habakkuk's life. It was never going to improve. The nation would be destroyed, temple would be destroyed, and he would find his way into captivity uh, in the land of Chaldea, it says here, or Babylon. That's how he would live and end his life. When everything seems to be going wrong, what do you say to God in these seasons? Second question, if God seems to remain silent, then what do we do? If we pray and pray and pray and call upon God, as Habakkuk did here in three chapters recorded for us to read many centuries later, what do we do then? Sometimes I've heard in my life, I've heard this many times really, that, uh, that if I have enough faith, then it will all turn out better or it will all be repaired or things will get good or I'll get what I want. If I have enough faith, if it doesn't, I, I must not have enough faith. If I do the right thing, then maybe the right life will happen for me. We hear that. If I memorize the right verse and say it often enough, then somehow that verse is miraculously going to, to come into a life that is what I want. If, if I give the right amount of money to church, we hear that a lot, then somehow I'm going to have some kind of return that's going to improve my life to a level that is going to overcome all these difficult things that I may be facing at a given time or I worry that I may face one day, then God will fix everything. I've got to confess the church is responsible for those myths. Uh, the church, preachers, teachings many times happen when we have been told that and sometimes it happens but not always. We are told, if I do, if I, if, 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 then, then, then. We, we're told that and we believe that. And, and, and Habakkuk tells us, oh, not true. Well, Jesus said it too. Don't be afraid, even though you can have reason to be afraid. Don't worry, even though you're going to have things to worry about. Don't doubt, even though you have reason to doubt. Be of good cheer. But in that good cheer, know that you're going to have some troubles and hard times in your life. It's part of your journey because you're following me and that's how it works. That's how it works. That's how life is. What do we do? Habakkuk, in his time, may have been, we could make a case that he was the most righteous, godly man on the entire earth. We could say that. As the most righteous, godly man, he enters a season of deep desperation. And he prays, and he says, as we begin today, oh God, how long? How long is it going to go on like this the rest of his life? 
is how long it's going to go in, go on. Third question. We're about the answer we want. What is God about? We're, we're often about that because we're very singular people. I, I mentioned the time in the hospital. You know, I wanted to get out. That was what I was about. That's what mattered to me. I want to get out. You know, that's often how we are. And I often tell people this. I'll say in desperate seasons, whether it be health issue, another issue, there are times that will come, and I promise them that there will come a day you will not want to pray. This goes on long enough. Wake up and say, I don't want to pray today. You know, they'll wake up a day, you'll just be full of doubt and fear and worry, and you're going to doubt yourself, and you're going to doubt God, and you're going to doubt your walk with God when that time comes. I want you to know, when that time comes, realize others are praying for you. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit's praying for you as well. Just let that happen. Just let them, those prayers, and that Spirit carry you in that season that's going to come in your life. That will happen in your life. Many of you are saying, hey, it already happened. I know what that feels like. I know what that's like. I know what that journey is like in my own life. And you may be in that journey right now. You may have had that day last week. You may have that day right now. I don't know. But we have a God we come to in this season. And what is God about? In the, we're about, I, want, I need an answer, Lord. I need you to fix this. I need you to solve this right now. That's what I'm looking for. And it's okay to be about that. As Habakkuk was, God, why is this all this going on? I don't understand it. Fix it. When is your answer going to come? Well, Jesus said things like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, he was about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God was where his journey was and what he brings to us. He says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's what he's doing. He's saving us. He's about saving my soul, about saving my life, about saving me eternally, not just in a given situation that I'm in. He said, I've come that you might have everlasting life. So you won't perish, but you have everlasting life. John 3, 16, you might know that. He said things like this in the Beatitudes, the legendary teaching of Jesus where he says, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they're simply trying to do good. Those are the things that Jesus said, and in that we understand. So that's what God is about. So begin a five-week series on Habakkuk, faith, and hard times. I'm going to show you a picture. It's a great picture. I love this picture. It's a picture of a wedding, black and white. Fifty years ago, uh, some here might know Robert and Brenda Gaston. This is a picture of their wedding 50 years ago. Uh, and she talked to me about this. I asked questions about it. She told me at first, you know, at least I heard this anyway, that when they got married, uh, she was 16 uh, and he was 18. I thought my wife and I were young. I was 21 and she was 18. Uh, 16. And then a while back, well, Pastor Mike, I have to tell you the truth. I was really only 15. So I want you to know that my parents had to sign. We've known each other since we were eight years old. That happened more back then than now, by the way. But uh, we, we had to sign so we could get married. And I looked older than I really was. And she, evidently she did. She didn't look 15 there, does she? Uh, now, Robert Brennan Gaston have had an amazing experience. When they come to church, when they can't come, they attend this service at 11 o'clock, usually on the back on the right. And let me show you his, his 50th wedding anniversary picture. It's the next picture. That's her 50th wedding anniversary, which happened last week. Married 50 years. Uh, there they are in ICU, uh, Harris Hospital. 
and you see some balloons in the background. I got to go by that day and bring them a, a card. Happy anniversary. I, don't, I almost never do that because I'm not good at remembering to get cards. Don't ask, mention that to my wife because she said, yep, he's right, right. She buys all the cards for us. She remembers all those things. I'm not good at it. Uh, but I got a card for them. It's a sign that took it up there uh, to give them that anniversary card. Let me tell you how this happened. Three years ago, they were talking about retirement. It was that season for them. She was going to retire in a year or two. He's getting ready to retire as well. Preparing for that, he decided he wanted to kind of get more in shape to enjoy retirement with family and all that. So uh, he began to ride a bicycle. And they don't know exactly how it happened, but on one bicycle trip not far from this church, uh, he was riding and by himself. And they don't know if the heat got him or if he hit a bump or lost his balance, but, but he, he crashed. Just a, just a bicycle on him. Hit his head on the sidewalk uh, and went to ICU for months after that accident that injury. Uh, and since that, 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 that time three years ago, that's been ongoing now off and on in and out of the hospital for three years. Now he goes on occasion, back to the hospital, back to rehab, uh, more surgery. This is a response to a more recent surgery. This is where he, let me show you the next picture, can I? This is a sign that's on the wall, was on the sign on the wall of the ICU unit. The nurses put that up. Uh, don't we love nurses who are there for families like this? Nurses love Robert and Brenda. They've known them well because they go in and out of the hospital so much. They're, they're family for them now, and uh, along with this church and many of you as well. Uh, and that's their, they bought that and had chocolate cake, chocolate cake there. Well, here's what, here's what Brenda and Robert want really right now, wanted during that season. They wanted Robert to be able to swallow. That was the prayer. Just pray that he can swallow when this surgery is through and he can get home and he'll be able to eat. He couldn't eat the chocolate cake there in the room. Just, that's all. That's all they're at. Just, just, we just want him to swallow. We're not worried about walking. You know, not worried about the, just right now, just swallow. That's our prayer for, for Robert. If he could just, you know, taste some food and enjoy food and re begin that recovery time. So that's our prayer for Robert and Brenda now. You know, uh, when, uh, when you talk to Robert, and I was up talking to him a few weeks ago before his most recent surgery, and he can talk, and we have conversations with him. He can't say a lot. It's hard to talk. Hardest bit because of some brain damage he experienced. But, but Robert said to me and to her, prayer is why I'm still here. Just prayer. That's it. Didn't mention anything. Just prayer. You know, prayers of other people, his wife's prayer, my prayers, his prayers. And, and his life had become just to that point of just prayer and, and can I. And I want you to think about that story after three years that they, they talk about prayer. It's just praying. It's just, it's just about prayer. It's just prayer at this very moment, as you can imagine the bad news. I'm going to say more about Robert in this message series if we continue in it. Some other stories to tell that I think are very singularly important for us all to hear. To relate our life, faith life, Robert Brenda's life, and of course Habakkuk's story here that's uh, recorded for us in this message. There was a very real Habakkuk who approaches God in a very real, honest way. In a season of despair and doubt, he approaches God with honesty. And without being honest with God and verbalizing that in prayer, where is God going to take us next? We've got to start with the reality. Here's what we got. God, I am afraid. God, I am worried. God, I do doubt. God, I wonder how long. And Habakkuk knew how to do that. Whether he's on his knees or not, I don't know, but he knew how to do it. Uh, because here's how he does it. And I'm going to read the same verses that you heard read already by Debbie. I'm going to read them from the Message Bible. 
and it'll help us connect maybe more fully with them. I'm going to put them on the screen as, they, as I read them. First, verse 1 and verse one, chapter 1, verse 1. The problem God gave Habakkuk to give it. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? That's how he begins. You think he was worried? Would you worry? What if someone near you said that to God? Will you think lightning was coming here any second? I better move, you know, that he was that. How long before you answer my prayer, God? I'm tired of waiting. Would you say that to God? If you wouldn't, why not? Are you worried you're going to offend him? Are you worried he doesn't know that you're really doubting? Does, are you worried he may, be, he may not be aware you're worried and afraid? Like he doesn't know that? He knows all those things anyway. So why are we not honest with God when he knows the truth anyway? He knows the deepest, darkest sin we have. There's time to confess that. God knows that. It's the first thing he said. Secondly, or verse 3, why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face every day? You know, why, why is this happening? I don't get it. God. We are your people, the people that you promised that, that you would be faithful to. We are those that you love, God. We're the chosen ones, and I'm your prophet. Why is this happening? Every day you make me get up one more day and see trouble and stare it right in the face. It doesn't go away. Every morning it's still there, I promise you. Every morning this health issue is with Robert, but it doesn't go away. Can she get him up? Can she get him in the chair? Can she move him to the next place? Is he able to function? Is he going to be able to swallow today? Lord, may he pass the swallow test that he can have some broth for supper. That's how they pray. How do we pray? Number three, I like this, this verbalization of what he's experiencing. Justice is a joke. The justice in this world is a joke. It's just plain stinking not fair, God. You ever think that sometime? You look out there and say, that wasn't fair. The good person died and the bad person didn't. That's not fair. I did good this week. I went to church, I went to church last Sunday and I was good to my, my family and I, I, I gave my tithe and, man, it went downhill by Friday. That's not fair. A lot of things in our world we say are not fair. You know, so he says it. He says it. God, it's just not fair. I don't get it. It's even a joke to me at this point. As I look at my world and pray to my Heavenly Father, this is not the only part of the book. There's three chapters, but this is how it begins. And the fourth thing. So why do you not do something about this? Why are you silent now? Why are you silent now? Why have you not done anything? Are you going to do anything? What do I do next, God, as one of your chosen people? You know, I love these stories and how it works. Because the reality is shown here for me as I explain it for you, this next thing that I, that I want to say. And that is the story of Habakkuk. And I want you to leave those words up there if you can. The story of Habakkuk is a story of limited human perspective. And that's just us. Our perspective is always very limited. Again, you know, uh, Robert Brenda, just want to pass the swallow test. Well, I have time to go home and take a shower today and come back. That's, that's their story. And, and she was concerned. Last time I saw them, because they'd moved from ICU to a regular room, and the room was one of the smaller rooms at Harris Hospital. It was in the old part of the hospital, a very small room. And, and that small room makes things more difficult. It's more stressful, depressing uh, to be in that small space. 
So we just want a little bigger room in this hospital. We might, we might be here for months. We don't know. This small room is really hard. That's our perspective. That's an honest perspective. That's how we, our perspective too, right? You know, how we approach our life and our concerns and our worries and our wishes and our wants and our, and our human understanding of life. It's the way we are. Nothing wrong with that at all. Habakkuk, though, talks about meeting God's limitless, benevolent sovereignty. That means God is God in this. I've got that part. That's why I'm calling upon you and saying, how long? I'm addressing you, God, not anybody else. I'm talking to you, God. Oh, God, how long? I know I'm talking to in this same sense of benevolence. I know somehow, God, you care about me and us. I will be talking to you in the first place. I know God gets that. And God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. That means God is over everything, and he defines what he does and doesn't do by his own wisdom, greater than ours, his own love, the word benevolence, and his power that addresses life in the fullness of the need that we have and how God wants to address that need. To help you see that today as we prepare for communion, I want to show you one more video that speaks to this sense of the, verse I, the, the words I just read to you in the beginning of Habakkuk, how long? Let us pause in last pleasures and count its many tears while we Oh 